Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Hi, it's Jen Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Are you hungry? Because everyone left after the asparagus sorbet. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. There's a whole lot of savings going on now at Staples. During Staples Citathon, you can save up to $150 on select office and desk chairs. And when you buy a chair, you save 25% on desks, storage solutions, and office accessories. Plus, your local Staples now accepts Amazon returns. And when you return an Amazon order at Staples, you receive a coupon for $10 off your next $30 Staples purchase. Now is definitely the time to save at Staples. Chair offer ends 1028, in store only. Exclusions apply on Amazon offer. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's Sports Station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey Show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at JWright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. We're glad that he's with us. Back in studio, sitting across from me, is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist, the lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Good to be back, Jeffrey. Thanks for holding it down for me without me. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> uh, part of the job. Uh, deal with uh, my absences because of kid-related situations. It's fall break, you know? I was I, off on Friday. We didn't have fall break where I grew up. There was, no fall, there was no fall break. We had it from, like, middle school through high school. Right. But I went to MES. And MUS does not have fall break this week, I believe. They had it last week. Yeah. Yeah. Big game on Friday. Massive game. Massive game. Some are calling it the biggest game in the city on Friday. <laughs> Is it the only game in the city on Friday? Well, there's the Memphis Tulane game. No, I know. The high, I, meant, I thought you meant high school game. Uh, I believe the, the city schools are on break, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think weirdly, though, Christian Brothers is on fall break, but they have to play us. Mm. Okay. So well, we're, we're well rested. Well, yeah. It's setting up to be a fun Friday. Our boys probably went down to Florida and did some underage drinking. <laughs> God. Oh, Friday the 13th is setting up to be a lot of fun. And uh, as we noted on Monday when we were last together, we've decided this week, because we're getting the triple header in Major League Baseball, start of the sports weekend has moved from Thursday to Wednesday this week. Yes. So, welcome to the weekend, everyone. Are we going split networks? I know TBS has the afternoon and night game. Does ESPN get one? I don't know. Fox had both. 
GC was like the first. No, TB, it's TBS. TBS for Atlanta, Philly at uh, at uh, four o'clock. Houston, Minnesota on FS1. Yeah, at okay, six. That's what it is. And then uh, Dodgers, uh, Diamondbacks, eight o'clock on TBS once again. So um, we'll get to that in the second hour. We'll set you up for what could be a. We could have uh, two of the favorite. No, one of the favorites uh, to make it to the World Series knocked out today with the Dodgers. Yeah, it does also feel like if the Dodgers get knocked out again, they're going to kick and scream and get the rules changed. <laughs> uh, but it should be a lot of fun. But uh, it's it's Wednesday, so we'll start things off with Bicel Schroeder. A lot a lot happened while I was out. I feel like while I while I didn't do yesterday's show, just felt yeah. I don't know. We had drama. We had drama. It's and it's fun to talk about drama, and so we'll get into the, all the drama in uh, in Memphis, whether it's the Grizzlies getting slighted, uh, the preseason game last night. I don't know if there was any controversy with that with the Grizzlies with the Grizzlies beating the Bucks, the Giannis and Dameless Bucks. No, the only thing that happened. It looked like at one point Laravia thought he broke his wrist. Yeah, and then he was like, then he was back. They went to commercial, and then he was walking it off. Like he was back. He was back on the floor. Like the next position. Hey, listen, listen. There's a battle for that tenth spot on uh, the tenth spot in the rotation. Like you, you know, you gotta. And and I'm not. I didn't feel like he was the leader in the clubhouse or anything like that. So uh, for that spot, so probably the smart move if he can uh, if he can gut it out. But. uh We'll talk Grizzlies. We also got to talk about uh, Memphis. We we've got Billy Richmond the, the third. Jeffrey has made an announcement today um, related to Memphis. So we'll get into that here in a little bit. Two forty or so. David Cobb will join us. We'll talk college football with him. Uh, big weekend coming up. Obviously, huge game Friday night at the uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. Memphis and Tulane. We'll get his thoughts on that. Uh, Three o'clock or so. We'll get into the list. Um, we'll talk the latest on Mikey Williams after yesterday's, uh, his, his, what is it, what is it called? A, a preliminary hearing yesterday. Um, and, uh, it did not, if you were holding out hope How many for preliminary hearings, are you allowed? Well, there's only one. He just had it. He kept pushing it back. They okay. kept like delaying it. This was the only actual preliminary hearing and it lasted like all day. Like it was, it, it was drama filled. It was almost like a trial in and of itself. Uh, it sounded like. Uh, so we'll get you all the details on that. Also, we've had a lot of politicians commenting on the stadium process over the last 24 hours. We went like, we, you know, we went like a month with nobody talking about it publicly. And then, boom, this election happened. And now we got, we were, we're getting like a flurry of uh, politicians t- talking about uh, the uh, Memphis stadium process with FedEx Forum and uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, including the governor, Bill Lee. So we'll, uh, We'll get you up to, up to date on that, and like we said, we'll talk Major League Baseball. But let's uh, let's start with a little buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. It's that time on 92.9's Giannato and Jeffrey Show, where we either buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. All right, Jeffrey. We're starting this off with a little, little Grizzlies disrespect. ESP, mm. The man holding down the Grizzlies, the man in this case being ESPN, um... The, their player rankings came out, and I think there's been some. Uh, I have no problem with any of the outrage, any of the disgust over the fact that the Grizzlies had Jaron Jackson Jr. at 31, John Morant at 35, and then uh, Desmond Bain and Marcus Smart both outside the top 50, right? 
Des was at 61. 61, and then was Marcus at 59. I think that's right. I think that, yeah. Um, and especially, it felt like especially, John Moran at 35, a year after being number nine in these same rankings. That felt the, right, didn't that feel the most egregious? It was certainly the most jarring. Yes. Um, I mean, you could make a case that, you can make a case that Des being at 61 is far too low. Yeah. But I also understand, like, he, he missed... His best games were prior to the injury. He played fine after the injury. He just mm-hmm. wasn't at the level that it looked like he was going to be at. And mm-hmm. I think the level he's probably poised for this season. Yeah. But, I mean, yes. I There's no question. When you saw the list, the first thing that stood out was, whoa. Yeah. Jot 35. Yeah. And he has subsequently, and he hasn't been on, he hasn't commented much on social media over this offseason. But he did. We did get some John Morant tweet action off of this one um, when he found out about this. Uh, got a lot of emo- emoji heavy. It was uh, art. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was art heavy. Work. Well, and and yeah, and he's also uh, yeah. So what did he write here? Uh, it was in- like it was like the crying laughing gif below the was it the NBA, NBA Central account? Mm-hmm. The like quote tweeting it. So he did the crying laughing emoji. Yeah, so someone was some, in the hourglass, and then it was like he was yes, like he was in like the namaste. It, yeah, pro- namaste. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so he had that. And then he responded to another tweet. Another so that was just a response to ESPN ranked John Moran as the ninth best player last season. They now have him ranked 35th. And then someone else responded to it with, Yep, it's only off court. They don't judge the actual product. This is madness. At John Morant, you know what to do. Um, and he had like a screenshot of like their explanation for why he fell so many spots, which was Morant's off court issues have overshadowed his brilliant play on the floor. He missed out on an all NBA selection last season and the Supermax contract escalator it would have earned, in large part because he served an eight game suspension. He'll serve a 25 game suspension to start the season. Um, ja, ja responded to that with no U turns and then an emoji of someone taking notes. So, um, he's taking note, Jeffrey, and one of this show's early edicts at the beginning of the John Morant era in Memphis was disrespected John Morant is, like, always the best John Morant. Yes. Overlooked, uh, uh, you know, feeling like he's, uh, you know. Slighted. Slighted. Uh, That John Morant, that's the one that became the number two pick. That's the one that became a superstar. I I think that's correct. I also think, though... This is already just pouring gas on a on a yes. fire already because I yeah. think he already, you know. The other thing that I took note of: Have you seen his header on his Twitter? Yeah, page? Yeah, so it's the it's from. So is it Tangled? Is it from? It's from. It's some animated movie. Yeah, I, it, it, I couldn't tell if it was like Tangled. It's it's clearly some fairy tale. Yeah, animated movie and all the, these knives. The are Prince pointed Charming in. character, whoever whoever it may be. Has a bunch of knives pointed at his throat. Yeah. Or pointed at his head. Um, well, it was pointed everywhere. It seems very calculated. Yes. You know, and especially knowing Jaws' social media history. Um, nonetheless, in the short term for this season, I like it. <laughs> I'm okay so with it. The but- only the only problem that I had, because I know we'll get into the buy social or go to Reddit. Mm-hmm. The only problem that I had with the justification is 
He's not the third. There's not 34 players well, in the NBA better okay, but than him. My thing is, if you would have used the argument, we know he's going to miss 25 games. Yeah. And that's a quarter and this of the season. season. He's the 35th. Or Correct. Whatever. Like, if you wanted to justify it that way, but they really didn't. They just said, like, he's, it was basically the explanation was it's off court issues. But that's not what we're ranking. You're ranking the top 100 players in the league. He's, he's a top 15 player in the NBA. But I mean, you could honestly, you could drop him into, you could drop him to like 25. And I, I think that's wrong because when you compare what he did last year to the previous year where he was nine, I mean, they had like, how, how did, how did John Moran have a worse season last year, even with the suspension than Kyrie Irving, who's ranked ahead of him? He didn't. He had a better season than Kyrie Irving last year. Well, I mean, even with the, even if you take into account the suspension, because you know what? Kyrie didn't even make the playoffs and John did. Now, granted, I thought it was a lot of empty calories. John did still have a 40-point playoff performance. Yes. Now, if you wanted to justify why you're ranking him 35 as he's going to miss 25 games, he has a history of missing games for injury, and he's a smaller guard, so there's durability questions. If you wanted to say that, I disagree with you, but it's an argument that I will at least accept. I don't understand how Trey Young is ahead of him. Like, Trey Young hasn't been good since the COVID year. Like, great since the COVID year. I mean, my biggest problem with Trey Young is... He's been fine. It's been a proven fact that he does not impact winning. Like, if you look at Jaws' year last year, he had 27 the previous year. He averaged 27 and 27, 6.7 assists, and 5.7 rebounds. Last year, he averaged 26.2 points per game, 8.1 assists, and 5.9 rebounds. And I'm not someone that just looks at points, steals, assists. But the only reason that he was a slight drop-off last year in points was largely because he was generating more offense. He was making an emphasis on passing. And he played slightly fewer minutes. Yeah, like Carl Anthony Towns being ahead of him is weird to me. Halliburton. Did ESPN, I saw, like it was, who did they send who voted in this? Because I was trying to like... Well, it looks like from the byline. I mean, it's their NBA writers, it looks like. It's, you know, like McMahon did the write-up. Yeah. Tim McMahon did the write-up. But who voted? It says, note, ESPN's rank panel comprising nearly 150 reporters, editors, producers, and analysts was asked to rank players based on their predicted contributions, quality and quantity, for the 2023-2024 season only. So that would seem to give credence to... What you were saying initially of if they had made the justification of like he like that's sort of what they're saying here is that they're taking into account your contributions for this season. So that would seem to suggest part of the criteria involved in docking Jai is he's not going to be able, you know, right off the bat, he's missing 25% of the contributions everyone else on this list presumably could have because he's suspended. Yeah. I, Again, if you justified it that way, I'd accept the argument because that matters. Like that's mm-hmm. going to impact the Grizzlies this year. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have twenty five percent, thirty percent of the season. The problem that I have is if you put all of the NBA players up for selection. Yeah. Are you really telling me he doesn't go till thirty five? It's not emphasized enough that that's like the criteria. But ultimately, like one hundred fifty people. I mean, I'm not going to say like it's. 
you know, that's like a, that's a pretty good. No, I I, I agree. Good, uh, ex, you know, base for an experience, whatever, a prediction, a hypothesis, if you will. But I don't know. My gut tells me when the season ends, he will be viewed as better than the number thirty-five player in the NBA. So long as he finishes this, so as long as he's healthy, relatively, and finishes the year, you know, like nothing happens, he just finishes the year. If he returns to form, he's going to be right back, essentially top, top 15. fifteen. Yeah. yeah. All right, so here's the buy sell sure to go to Reddit though, because we also had the NBA.com GM survey come out, and no longer are the Grizzlies considered one of the most promising young cores in the NBA. Now I don't know. I think either way you look at it, it's a little bit of a slight in that either somehow they don't they view there's there are actually three or four younger you know young cores that are better than the Grizzlies, or I presume this is it. They don't consider the Grizzlies a young team anymore which is what I think it is. More. So I, my first instinct was they were talking about teams that haven't kind of like made the playoffs yet. Mm-hmm. But what threw me off is they put Cleveland in there. Well, in the last two years, well, the last two years, the Grizzlies have been in that category and not won that category in the GM survey. They've yeah, been the I mean, most I, promising I think, core, young core. I think, I think, it's if, that you, I think I, if you do the average age, they're still. Oh, I think so. But I wonder if they're not viewed that way anymore as young. Like, because, like, emotionally, they're not young anymore. But Cleveland, like, let me see. I don't know. It, and maybe it's just because Cleveland's, I mean, Cleveland's only had one year, you know, ultimately. But I I think Donovan Mitchell is older than Dez, Ja, or Jaron. Right? I think he's older than Marcus. No, Marcus is like 29. I thought, uh, no, Donovan's probably, what, 28? He's 27. Donovan Mitchell, um, how? Yeah, he just turned twenty-seven. Um, so, uh, nonetheless, buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. Jeffrey, the Grizzlies are being disrespected. Uh, I'm gonna buy it. Mm. Here's why I'm gonna buy it. I think when you when you when you take the step back and you look at why is this. Why are the rankings the way that they are? I think the implication is we are kind of tired of them. Mm -hmm. They were exhausting last year from the national perspective. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I would also argue the number one culprit of that is no longer on this team. Mm. And the second culprit. He wasn't on the court after four minutes last night either. Correct. (laughs) That was great. It was it was very nice to finally have. I couldn't believe it when I when I saw it on my really? phone. That did no that right, hold on. four minutes really? into his oh, the first game he's four, ever appeared many, in for them. How many games? Dylan Brooks gets ejected. How many games for did he get tossed in in FIBA? For, for, Do you know how hard it is to get tossed in FIBA? It feels like in the last year it is esca- like yes he was always a crap crackpot on the court. It seems like it's escalated over the last year. Um, with with Dylan Brooks, it's gotten more exaggerated over the last year. Although I will, you know, when you go back and look, because I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, ES Sports Center put out like a tweet this morning or last night that Dylan Brooks has a new nickname, and it, they said it was Dylan the Villain, and it's like what? That it's not new. And I actually went back and looked up. Like they literally, I mean, technically, as a man of principle, I can't hate that. 
that goes to rule number one. Exactly. That's, don't tell these stories. That's tell your story. <laughs> um, but also, they were literally calling him Dylan the villain in the okay. NCAA tournament when he I was, was in Oregon. Say, there were Memphis people that acted like they invented that. No, no, no. it was he in was, Oregon. He was called the, Brian Kelbrowski, who writes about the NBA, used to be on Eric's show regularly, and Brian covered him at Oregon, mm-hmm. and he's like, that was his nickname at Oregon. Yeah. No, there was like a New York Times story written about him in the in the NCAA tournament that year about being Dylan the villain. Regardless, to your point, most of the stuff that people were annoyed with with the Grizzlies ultimately came down to two people on the roster. Correct. Yeah. Like, did Jaren Jaren offend anyone? Did Dez offend anyone? Clay Thompson was offended by Jaren, remember? After the NBA Finals. Yeah, but I'm offended by Clay Thompson. (laughs) That one was so ridiculous. That one was the classic. That was when, that was, I felt like, I felt like I had a different impression of Clay Thompson like three years ago, like before I think, pre-injury. I, I Clay Thompson. Say, I think post Clay. I think post last injury. Clay is doing a lot of like justifying his career. Mm. I, he's a very different. Yeah. From a from in terms of his persona, he is presenting yeah. himself very differently. But I would also argue this. This is kind of what I said at the end of the season. Guys, we're going to have to just wear this. Yeah. Like, we talked a lot. Well, and I would A lot. And, I and would, guess what? Didn't back any of it up. And I would say this. I, I, I'm buying this, too. They are being disrespected. I think they're going to... When push comes to shove, it, they, I'm, like, expecting them to have a good year this year. I, I don't know what it's going to look like in the playoffs, because, like, well, that... We'll see. Like, well, I mean, that's the where... Other, the other thing... But about, I think this is a really good regular season team, and they've shown it the last two years. The other... The other aspect of this, though, is the Grizzlies did have four top 61 players or whatever. Yeah. No, and remember, we, we've talked about these rankings since this show started. We've talked about these rankings each year when they come out. And this is by far and away, like if you're going how many top 65 players do the Grizzlies have, they had, what, f- four on yes. this list? Like previous years, it was like, Oh, they have three guys in the top 100. Yes. You know, and like things like that. It's so very clearly you can see even from this list that they are a better team now than two, three years ago in the eyes. Like people still see them as a better team, at least in terms of the players' reputation. Um, but I do think the way last year, I mean, like, here's the reality is they were the two seed and lost hum- in a humiliating fashion. In the first round last year, like you can't, yeah. And there's been no games played since then. Yeah, it's like right. you, you and can't. There, there are circumstances. It takes a little it. while to erase that stink from people's mind. You know, like ultimately, and it, whether it's fair or not, that's just the reality. Correct. And like this is kind of what my point was at the end of the year. It's like this is you're just gonna have to eat it. But they are being disrespected, and I think it's gonna work out well for this season. Like it feels like. They lost some of that chip last year. Like they thought they had, they talked about it after the year. They thought they had like kind of arrived and they clearly hadn't. And, you know, this is how, like, if you, that night when they were losing by 40 or whatever to the Lakers, if you were. Was it not more? I I don't even remember. Like, I don't even remember it. Like, that's how, that's how numbing that loss was. Even for me, like, I'm not even a fan of the team, I'm just covering the game. And it was like, just like, I couldn't believe they went out like that. 
Well, it was you know? it was also that demoralizing because it's like nine thirty tip off. You've talked yourself into. All right. Hey, maybe they can force it. They just it gets flip. back to Memphis. Who knows here? You just got to flip one, get to a game seven. We could be going back to San Francisco in a week before, you you know, <laughs> before our eyes or playing the goal, playing Golden State, whatever. Um, you could talk yourself into it. I didn't I didn't think they were going to no. win the game, but I didn't think that I didn't think they were going to get blown out like that. I thought it was going to be way more similar to game four. Yeah. Than it was going to be to game three. And it was way more similar and worse than game three. Yeah. It was, but that's the last memory of this team. But I think it's going to work out in their favor. You're already seeing it from John Morant, and I think because I think they are better than what people are judging them as right now. They've shown it with with and without John Morant, and I think the addition of Marcus Smart. I said it during the offseason, and these polls have confirmed it. I don't think people are giving them enough credit for that ad. I think I think that's a better offseason addition. Than people are giving it credit for. I think it's going to be. I know he's missed the first two preseason games, so we haven't really seen exactly how it fits right now. Um, I, I'll be curious if he plays uh, in the preseason or not with this abdominal strain he has. I, I would assume he wants to get one game in, right? Something like that. Didn't last year? Wasn't there a game that Taylor called a dress rehearsal? Like I was trying yeah. to remember. I think there was like well, one they game. the way the the way the preseason schedule was out because they have no more home preseason games the rest of the way. Um, and they have, but there, and then there's, I think there's two more right in a row. And then there's like a four or five day gap before the last one. And so I wonder if, I, I wonder how that will play out in terms of who plays and who doesn't for them. Um, but I, I'm buying this, that they're, they're being disrespected here. Like, I think that, I think the jaw ranking in particular is kind of offensive to me, to be quite honest. It like delegitimizes the whole operation. And maybe that makes me sound like a kind of a homer, but like there's not 34 players in the NBA better than John Morant. And like, I get it. They put the note there that this is about, you know, ultimately their contributions to this season. I still think it's ridiculous. Like maybe you kick, certainly I can see you justifying him not being top 10 anymore. Like he was last year, but this feels, this feels excessive. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it statistically, the and big the biggest difference between Ja last year the and the G- previous year, he did not shoot as well. But it wasn't like he shot amazingly the mm-hmm. year before. But when you look at almost every metric, he was essentially the exact same player. And then the GM poll had them as sixth in the West, which I also thought was... But I mean, isn't that kind of what they would have been picked last year? Yeah. the only, I, I would have put him fifth. But I don't think six is ridiculous. They had him behind the Clippers, and I wouldn't have had him behind the Clippers. I'd have him ahead of the Clippers. Um, but they had him. You know, I think it's reasonable to put, you know, Denver, Phoenix, the Lakers. Yeah, I guess the, the and, other thing, and Golden State. I could. I, I might even was, have him ahead of Golden State. I think I'd have him fourth. The other thing that I that I took away from this is after what about. Jokic is going to be one, I presume. Mm-hmm. Giannis is going to be two. It feels like that most people have separated them from mm-hmm. the next tier for aging reasons, for talent mm-hmm. reasons, whatever. Like they they seem to be on a different yeah. level. Okay. But after like, and then it's like uh, then the next tier is like Luca, Tatum, 
Um, but like when you start thinking Devin about Devin Booker, maybe fifteen back, mm-hmm. it's pretty squishy. Yeah, like it's a it's very very subjective. He should be like top fifteen, top twenty. I can take t- teens. He should be in the teens right now. If you want to dock him for the off court stuff, I get it. But it should be like in the teens. He was not a noticeably different player last year to this year. All right, let's stick with the Grizzlies um, because of last night's preseason game. And this seemed to be the guy, even though Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. had nice games, they seem ready for the, they seem ready to go. Yeah. Um, but the big story, I guess, if there is such a thing out of the second preseason game of the season, was that Zaire Williams started and played pretty well. Acquitted himself well in his start. So I give you this buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. Because it's very clear Taylor Jenkins is going to kind of cycle through different options in that fifth starter spot in these preseason games as he tries to figure out who gets the spot. Buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. Zaire Williams will be a starter on opening night for the Grizzlies. Okay. I think I'm going to buy it. Here's why I'm going to buy it. I think the front office still believes Zaire working out is what's best. Mm. Kennard off the bench. That Kennard, Ultimately, if you bring Kennard off the bench to start the year, that's the role he's going to have the whole year anyways. I also don't think – I don't think this is going to be like with Santi last year when Jaron was hurt and Santi mm. got, the, got the spot and didn't give it up until Jaron came back. Mm. I think that there could still be more juggling and more mm. experimenting. I do think the twenty five games is a long time. We could see right. we could see all three well, of those and, guys and obviously end up not starting every, a not game. Not everyone's gonna there. play. Like, you know. Yeah. But it does seem to me that LaRavia and Roddy are in a different tier than like to me it's the classic it's up to Zaire to lose it. Mm. Oh, so you're you're saying that you're saying right now in in Taylor Jenkins' mind. I don't know if it's Taylor Jenkins' mind. Might be the holistic mind. Okay, the the organization, the holistic mind. mind. They've got it pen, in pencil, yes. so erasable. Correct, but in pencil, they've got Zaire in there. I think Zaire. If Zaire does like what he did last night, which was good, was also kind of graded on a curve. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a preseason game, but it was. You could see it. If he keeps performing like that, I suspect he's going to get the first nod because if indeed he develops into what they want him to be, he makes the most sense there from an athleticism perspective, defensive, everything. Like he's like you you know what Luke is at this point. Luke is extremely talented offensively and defensively, not mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. But are you really all that concerned about if you put Luke out there, what he's going to do? No, and like you if kinda, you have him in the no. starting lineup, the reality is you. I would hope having Marcus Smart and Jaron Jackson Jr. in the lineup as well would help cover up some of those deficiencies on defense. Yes, having both of them out there. One based on a like Marcus Smart can take. All yeah, those, you know, and you know, like ultimately they'll hide. They'll like Canard will guard who Ja would normally guard in a game. 
Yeah, and you know, like they usually like try as best they can to like hide. And there's going to be more of an emphasis on Dez, and that way he kind of fits well with uh, what what you normally get from John Moran. Although Taylor Jenkins has, I I think we should make note of it because he's made it a point to say it. He think I think in his mind defense is these guys. I think in his mind all these guys are kind of the same offensively. They're all a little flawed, you know. Ultimately, minus Luke, minus Luke, yeah. yeah. But and he he said like. He's and a Dez, Dez isn't really that flawed. No, 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 I'm talking the guys competing for this spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has made note. There's oh. either fit concerns. There's yeah, they're yeah. all no, flawed. Yes. Um, and he's made note a couple times in this preseason. Like he, in his mind, I think he thinks defense is going to be like a tiebreaker in this. Like if a guy can bring him something defensively more so than the other, that's who he's going to favor. And I do think. That might that favors Zaire. When he said that, that seems to me a little bit like it's setting up. That's why I think he's going to have to lose it. He's setting up the possibility of Zaire because Zaire. Is, I don't. I'm not saying Zaire is the greatest defender yet, but he is the best. I think defender of those of that group. He's certainly the most capable. I mean, I guess you can make a case. He's got the most potential. Laravia was known coming out of college as a great defensive player. They talked about it when they drafted him. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I've not been, I mean, LaRavia has been fine. I still have not yet been watched him and been as, remember at the beginning of last season, I want to say there was a game in Sacramento maybe, or I forget where it was. There was like a couple games The and it was really early in the season where he was, looked really promising in a couple games. And then he got this mystery injury and, Never really got back on track. Was never in the rotation again. Um, but I haven't been impressed with him since then. Like, I haven't been impressed with him this preseason or in summer league, really. Well, I, th- I think you're right. It was the it was the Sacramento game yeah. where they where the Grizzlies... It's one of the few Grizzlies road wins. Mm. It was, it was yeah. the blowout. He had this, like, this transition dunk and one, I think. But it was like, whoa! Like, this guy can do this? You know? And it was like, whoa! And then, like, but I haven't had any more whoa moments with him. He had him. 13 points, 9 rebounds. I know he had, yeah. that, he had the dunk the other yeah. night. It was, like, kind of similar to the dunk he had in the first preseason game, I guess. But um, I I put him at the bottom of the list. I, I don't know about you. What do you think? I think so. You could talk me into you could talk me into Roddy perhaps being at the bottom of the list because of fit. Mm. Like, it does feel like they, they trust Roddy more with, like, that small, like, a small ball four. Yeah, can like Roddy really keep up with right. wings defensively? And he's not a but it does. See, he's through, not quite a good enough three the first, point shooter to like offset that. Through the first two preseason games, it seems like he's in a different group. Laravia. To me, I think Laravia. I think that fifth spot is coming down to Kennard or Zaire. And I, you could also talk me into Zaire starts opening night and by like game five, it's Luke. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to buy opening night. I think I like your scenario. There's no way Luke Kennard is not starting games during those 25 games. Correct. Jaws out. And and, not, and I'm not even saying that you, you you sometimes accuse me of trying to get around this in a legal way. I'm not even talking about like well, you do. someone's it's been proven. Someone's someone's hurt and he they like put him in because of that reason. I'm saying there's to me there is very likely a scenario where no matter what Luke Kennard is starting games where the other four guys who are definitely starters are all playing. 
It doesn't even have to be like, oh, Bane's out tonight, so they're starting Kennard. I'm even eliminating that loophole, Jeffrey. Well, it's very big. Just of you. because of what you've accused me of in the past. Very, right. very big of you. We'll get into uh, more uh, with the Tiger basketball situation and the Memphis, uh, the, the the drama, if you will, both in the courtroom on Facebook. Um, and with the politicians. Mm. Um, we'll do all that in the list next hour, but David Cobb is going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts on this big Memphis-Tulane football game Friday night. Also uh, talk about the entire country uh, uh, college football landscape when we come back. You're listening to Giannotto and Jeffrey on 92.9 FM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. ESPN. Right, David Cobb writes about college football and college basketball for CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter on X at David W. Cobb. Cobb is the winner of Tulane Memphis going to wake up on Sunday, despite the game that being Friday. But is that going to be the head? Is that going to be the the team that's in the driver's seat for the New Year's Six birth? Wow. I mean, I hadn't even really thought about it. So we've got that's- we've got here are the games that would matter. Wyoming goes to Air Force, so Wyoming could maybe play their way out at that point. Air Force, if they won, would still be alive. I don't know how you would flip it. It always feels to me like the Mountain West is probably, like their champion's always going to have two loss. Then Wyoming has to go to Boise next week. There's a chance where the Mountain West has started the the Pac-12 approach, which is start eating yourself. Uh the Mountain West, it feels like, is a better with better teams. But if Memphis or Tulane can withstand the storm, then they'll be better positioned. Even if the AAC, which I mean, it's not a worse league than the Mountain West, but that doesn't mean it can't produce a singular better team. And uh, you're probably right. I mean, winner winner of Memphis Tulane in, in the driver's seat of that conference for sure. And then I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, Fresno State, I feel like is still. Uh, but their loss to Wyoming doesn't hurt, uh, doesn't help. That's for sure. Do you agree with the metrics? So the metrics still show that SMU has the best chance of winning the league. Now, when you look at SMU's losses, no shame in the Oklahoma loss. They were super competitive. Like the final score was worse, but they were that was a one score game in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. Mm. TCU they had so many turnovers that just never let like they couldn't hang in the game. But it was. I don't know, it finished like a two-score game, something along those lines, but it was really the turnovers. But the metrics still love SMU. Love yeah, them. I, yes. FP, yeah, they're it, the highest-rated uh, AAC team in the FPI. I mean, they're a classic computer tricker team, right? Like The, they, the Ken Palm darling. We see it more yeah. in college basketball than we do in, in football, but yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like Gonzaga. They, they run a fun offense. They score some points. Their strength of schedule, right? I don't know to what extent strength of schedule is a part of the FPI equation, but they've played good teams, so that drives up uh, their metrics uh, to a certain extent as well. And uh, I don't know that I buy it. I just feel like there's an infatuation there with Rhett Lashley that is founded on nothing other than 
blind hope in a guy who's worked for some other good coaches before. Um, so that's where I'm at there. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that uh, Memphis or Tulane are, are head and shoulders better than SMU, uh, but I definitely don't feel like, like SMU is significantly better than either of those teams. So uh, that that's kind of where we're at in the AAC, but I well, will say. Well, here's, I, David, before you answer completely, I want to give you these stats and I want to hear your thoughts on these with in relation to this. Because I looked at them. I have a column up at commercialpeel.com um, kind of about – uh, we're starting to see the the truth. Like, we, we all predicted what the effects the new membership would have on the AAC. Now we're starting to see, like, some actual results filtered in. So last year, the AAC, if you went by the FPI, the top half, there's 133 team, FBS teams. Teams that finished in the top half of the FPI from the AAC, there were seven of them that finished within, like, the top 65, essentially, of FPI. As of right now, through five games or whatever, five, six games, um, there are three teams in the AAC that wow. rank that in that, that, Yikes. in that top half of the FBS, if you will. It's SMU, Tulane, and Memphis. That's it. Hey. Do we lose you, David? AAC teams who escaped the bottom 25 so some good news to counter your bad news there mark like uab finally got a win mm-hmm. they got out of, the, out of the bottom 25 so there's only like three. yeah but when uab well, i'm gonna be honest but here's the deal when uab gets a win do you just have to replace whoever they beat I, i'm gonna well, be honest if you go by the fpi uab ain't the problem this year for the aac uab <laughs> is fifth in the fpi cool. in terms of uh in terms of uh their fpi ranking amongst aac teams Temple's 126, dragging up the rear. North Texas is at 122. Navy's at 116. Charlotte's at 104. USF's at 102. FAU's at 100. Tulsa's at 99. Rice is at 98. ECU is at 93. UAB's 92. UTSA's 78. So two-thirds of the league are outside of the top 80. And part of the problem is that a lot, a lot of those teams you just named are, are teams that were in the AAC before. So it's yeah. not even like it's the new guys from Conference USA who are. No, only North Texas has really, you know, crapped the bed, so to speak, in yeah, terms of the FBI. UTSA also. UTSA was expected to be good, and they're not good. That, that has hurt the AAC quite a bit. And if you look around the country, though, it's not just the AAC. As we discussed with the Mountain West, and you look at the Sun Belt even. You see Coastal and App playing last night, and they both already have multiple losses uh, in early to mid-October. So Group of Five football as a whole has suffered with the departures of Houston and Cincinnati and UCF. Like, that's just that's just the reality. It doesn't mean it has to be permanent uh, because, I mean, it sounds like moving forward, at least for the two-year period, we're going to get an automatic qualifier from the Group of Five. And the group of five may also get Oregon State and Washington State. That that would be a pretty nice boost because those are good programs who, if they're in the Mountain West, would be likely the best teams in that conference. Uh, or if they end up in a Pac-12 that's revamped or whatever, either, either however it shakes out, those two teams will help the group of five ranks whenever they're officially kind of part of that a, a part of that that side of things. Interesting. Yeah, it's. 
I, I, I'll be curious to see how it all shakes out after this weekend. My my suspicion is certainly if Wyoming beats Air Force, they will be ranked ahead of either Tulane yeah. or Memphis. I think in terms of or viewed as ahead of them in in the group of, in the group of five situation because again I don't think the Mountain West and Sunbelt are any different honestly than most years the AAC I think is we're seeing as I laid out those numbers to you I think is has really taken a step back um unfortunately but do you do you think the Mountain West and the Sunbelt it's interesting because like jam you can't even go to a bowl game um but do you think the Mountain West will eat itself ultimately yeah, I mean, we're, like, that Fresno State-Wyoming game is a perfect example of it already. Uh, and, and those, you know, it's the college football playoff rankings that determine, right, which yes. who the best group of five team is. And then, so and then if no one is ranked in the top 25, the committee will pick a team ultimately. Yeah. Right. But they'll, they, they rank one. They'll rank they'll one of them right. 25 yeah. if they need to, yeah. The, yeah, so then it ultimately becomes – how does the strength of schedule in the Mountain West sort of stack up against the AAC? Because if you have a three-loss Mountain West champion with a couple of good wins on their resume, uh, does that team then have a, a higher ranking than a two-loss AAC champion? And all those bad teams that you just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, from the AAC, they drag the league down. I mean, it's no yeah. different than when we talk about all this stuff with basketball in February. So the collective profile of the conference matters. And to be honest, AAC had a pretty terrible non-conference run of it. You know, very few uh, victories of note uh, to hang to hang their hat on. Whereas yeah. the Mountain West, eh, they at least got a, uh, picked off a few of the big boys, right? And, and yeah. those uh, Wyoming over Texas Tech results, right? Like those yeah. types of and, Wy- and Wyoming was respectable against Texas. Now, granted, that was like sleepy Texas after they'd beaten Alabama, but they were respectable. Right. I, I would yeah. say for the AAC, the college football playoff committee slash NCAA basketball committee, like it is going to be really important for the AAC moving forward to have like a better than expected showing with both of those. Like it, it's going to be fascinating to see how they rate them essentially because that's going to, there's going to be something of a precedent set, I think, this season because there's been enough of a change in the makeup of the AAC that like, you know, like whatever preconceived notions you have, there's been enough change that I don't think they're going to necessarily lean on those like maybe they have in past years. Yeah, I also think the drop-off for the AAC is more significant in football uh, yeah. than in basketball. And I realize how good Houston is at basketball. However, Cincinnati, as of late, hadn't been doing much. UCF, I mean, losing them, what does that do? I mean, right, that doesn't hurt you at all. Uh, you add FAU, North Texas has been a good program. Memphis is in a, a period right now where it has cycled up. Uh, and Memphis is scheduling non-conference-wise and basketball yeah. like like crazy. So, yeah. And UAB is uh, a solid basketball program. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, – it, it, you're, you're probably right it's better in basketball than it is football. But uh, we may be getting ahead of ourselves. There is a big game on Friday night uh, in terms of uh, in, in terms of Memphis and Tulane, and it, it depends how that shakes out ultimately. What do you make of uh, that matchup? I, I think I've said I think it's the big. It's to me, it's, it's the biggest Memphis football game since the Cotton Bowl. I think. Wow. Yeah. That. that I mean, that's probably true. I mean, Memphis to be. You know what? Are they, what, what are they? Five and one right now. Yes. Or at least yeah, four, I mean, four and one. Four and one. Four and one. Let me see. One, four, two, three, four, 
Yes, four and one. Yeah, and, and Tulane is the reigning uh, Cotton Bowl champions. I mean, you're probably right. It is, it is the biggest matchup for the program since then. I mean, I like Memphis's chances. To me, it feels like Memphis is getting the breaks this season that it didn't get early on in Ryan Silverfield's tenure. And I think part of that comes with experience and familiarity. Seth Hennigan now being a veteran quarterback. So more playmakers emerging. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Antonio Gibson is out there or Tony Pollard on this team, but like O'Rock Taylor and some of these guys are, are starting to give them some of that pop offensively that it felt like they had been missing really since the end of Norvell's tenure. So, I mean, the win, and this is just how things go when you, when you make a coaching change. It's, it's probably no coincidence that Florida State is just now really starting to pop because yeah. it takes a couple of years. And Ryan Silverfield had not been a head coach before. And I don't know that they are just, like, astronomically more talented or better than they were earlier in his tenure, but he's more comfortable. Hennigan's a vet, and it feels like a spot where they could slash should win uh, against a two-lane team that is just not quite what it was last season when it had, you know, Tajay Spears. All right, I want to switch gears with you a little bit. Is this a weird game for Tennessee? You've got A&M coming in off the loss to, to Alabama in which – Jimbo just absolutely coached his way to a loss. Credit to Alabama. They did, like, I do think Alabama's figured out what they are. It's like, run the ball in deep shots. Don't do anything else. Like, that's right. that's what we are. And then play extremely good defense, which they very much do. But A&M is pretty good against the run. And with Tennessee, like, starting to find their form, it's largely been getting the ground game going. Is this, like, a weird matchup for them? It's a, it's a really compelling matchup. In fact, uh, I will be in the Neyland press box for the first time in five years mm. uh, for this game. Did they, so, did they leave your seat? Yeah. I, I doubt it, yeah. Uh, in fact, if, if my call drops, it's because I'm on the way now. But, uh, no, it, it's a great matchup because, like you mentioned, A&M has been really, really good against stopping the run. That's what Tennessee does best. And then where A&M has been weak is defending the pass. And that's kind of where, like, Tennessee needs to take a step forward yeah. is, is with the downfield passing game. I mean, we are five games into the season now for Tennessee. They have eight completed passes of over 25 yards. Uh, they had over 30 last season. Uh, and, you know, with Hendon Hooker only playing 11 games. So, like, like, Hooker was hitting the deep shot at a far greater clip than Joe Milton is. But giving up the deep shot is kind of what Texas A&M did against Alabama and did against Miami, and it's why they have two losses. So can Tennessee capitalize on that weakness? And then both these teams, uh, ironically, along with USC, uh, are the top three in, in, in the Power Five ranks in terms of tackles for loss. So you're going to see a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. You're going to see uh, some tackles for loss and some good play from the front seven. So – I think it's a, a, a toss-up almost. I mean, that's kind of how Vegas sees it. In fact, I would even go, like, money line on it and maybe in favor of Tennessee, even though they're like a three- or a three-and-a-half-point favorite because it's just going to be that close. And uh, I kind of give the edge to uh, Tennessee because Neyland should be in, in rare form. Uh, and the fact is, you know, Texas A&M has never played in front of a, a Neyland Stadium at capacity. Because they were there in 2020, but there was only a quarter of the uh, the capacity. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see to see how that dynamic works out. But it's a I love the matchup. I think it's a really interesting matchup. Which underdog would you rather have on the money line this week? Oregon at Washington or USC at Notre Dame? Oh, 
Notre Dame's a slight favorite, is it not? Yeah, it's, it's two and a half. They are at home. I mean, it, basically what they're saying is I guess maybe it'd be a, a pick em slash maybe one point on a neutral, but they're, they have made Notre Dame a favorite. I'll lean USC in that game. I think that the fact that Notre Dame is a favorite is an overreaction to USC's really, really poor defense. And It's like, did y'all watch the Louisville game either? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that was – I mean, Louisville in year one under Jeff Brom just like straight up manhandled this Notre Dame team that we've been lauding for its toughness. I mean, Estime behind that vaunted Notre Dame offensive line could not get anything going on the ground. And so if there's any situation where USC's defense could get right, like this is it, because you know they're actually going to be up for this game, right? Yeah. And like how amped up has USC been for anyone on their schedule to this point? I mean, the schedule's been garbage. So now you go and play Notre Dame. I think I think Lincoln Riley will have their attention this week, and uh, I would lean Trojans. If you, if you had somebody truly on upset alert, who would it be this week? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy when you look at some of the yeah. cupcake opponents that the top-ranked teams play. I've just been so unimpressed, though, with Ohio State. I mean, even in the win over Notre Dame, I was unimpressed with Ohio State. I, I just Ohio State think, dreams do go to die in West Lafayette. Yeah, I, I, and Purdue's record is 2-4, and four, but it's sneaky. Like, they're not as bad as their record suggests. It's year one under new regime. They lost Brom. Like, Ryan Walters is finding his way. Uh, but I think you could have a, a moment. Like, I think there's going to be a moment at some point this season where, where Purdue does something. I don't know if it's, if it's against Ohio State. But of, like, the top-ranked teams uh, this week, I, I certainly think that, that Purdue has a better shot against Ohio State than, than, uh, than Indiana does against Michigan or than – Big noon, it's game. a big noon month. It's a big noon kickoff game too. Yeah, so that means we'll have Gus Johnson, um, you know, just really like screaming at us if uh, if Purdue does anything there. Well, he's got to save his voice for whenever he inevitably goes back to do a Colorado game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cobb, we appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, David. Yeah, thank you, guys. David Cobb of CBS Sports. When we come back, lots of Tiger talk to get into. We've got a Mikey Williams legal update. We'll get into the Billy Richmond. Penny Hardaway, I don't. Is it a feud? If it's really only, I don't know if it's a nah. feud. But we've got also a Billy. We got a, a Billy Richmond the third recruiting update. Yeah, we got more politicians talking about stadiums. We'll do all that during the list. We've also got the Major League Baseball playoffs to talk during hour number two. We'll do all that coming up next right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, ninety-two nine FM, ESPN, WMFS FM, and HD One Bartlett, WMFS Memphis, celebrating a legacy of. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 